Well, if you're just now joining us, we've been in this series called Reboot. We've been looking at what does it mean to reboot our lives? We all get to a place where stress and anxiety just comes in and takes over. And so we, we get to a place where we're going, I just, I just need a reboot. And so what we've been looking at is what is it that we need to do and how is it that we can actually do this reboot with life? That what is it that we need to stop and what is it that we need to start? How do we go about this? Or when, when we're just burdened in life, what is it that we need to do to lighten up? And how can we lighten up? And, and how can we identify that there's a God that's there to be able to carry our burdens, to take some of our burdens from us, that he puts other people in our path to, to help us in life, that we can share some of our burdens with them as well. Last week, we looked at creating positive relationships, that kind of CPR, creating positive relationships, and how when we do this, that we get to help others that they might need a reboot. Well, today, we're going to talk about financial peace. And some of you guys might be here for the very first time, and you're like going, really? Of all the times for me to show up to the church for the very first time, you're talking about money. I should have known it's a holiday weekend not to come. Well, I want to tell you, I think this is going to be encouraging and helpful for you. I, 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 you might not feel that way at first, but I really think that it really will be helpful for you. But if it is your first time, I want you to know that next week, as we're going to continue through Reboot, we're going to be talking about work in progress. We're going to be talking about this workplace stress and this workplace anxiety that, that we might end up having, whether you're a stay-at-home, whether you're retired and now workplace is your home, or whether you're going back to an office or whatever that is, that we're going to be able to relate to that and see how can we get past that stress, that anxiety. And then one more week after that, when we finish everything up, and we're going to be talking about breaking the busyness barrier is what we're going to be doing. So that'll be our entire series with what it is that we're going to be doing. Well, financial peace. I, I think that, that, that people, when it comes to generosity, are usually in, in one of two categories. They're either being stingy or they're strapped. That they're like going, I'm just stingy and I'm holding it all. No, 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 I'm not giving you any. Or I want to be generous, but I can't because I am just strapped. And, and I think for most people that are Christ followers, that I don't think that, it's that they have this attitude, oh, I'm just stingy and it's all for me and mine. I think there's a desire to be more generous than what many of us are. But we just don't know how because we look at our financial situation and we're going, I'm strapped. I've got nothing to give. I wish I could. I wish I could help you, but I just can't because I am strapped. Well, I think when it comes to money, I think that there is one question, and I think it's the number one question that gets asked whenever we're thinking about buying something. And, 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 and the more expensive it is, the, the, the more we kind of dwell on this question. And what is that question? That question is, how much will it cost me? And I think this is a great question to ask. But most of us don't stop here when we ask the question. Most of us add something to that. And what we end up adding to that is a month. If we don't look at it and say, hey, how much is this going to cost me? Instead, it says, how much is this going to cost me? A month. Let, let's, let's look at it this way over here. That, that there's that item that, that we want to get, and it's, it's expensive. And so it, that item is actually, it's, it's $800. You know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. It, it's an $800 item. But we haven't saved up for it. And so what we have to do, it's for that $800 item that we have to make 
monthly payments. And one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And we take 10 months to pay for that $800 item. And if we would have just looked at it and said, you know, in the future, I might want something, so I'm going to save up for it, that we could have ended up saving ourselves two Benjamins. And, and, and the more this happens in life, the more of these that, that you get to hold on to and that you get to have. And so the, the question that's the best question to ask is not how much is this going to cost me a month, but the best question to ask is how much is this going to cost me? I've actually heard Dave Ramsey say this so many different times. And what he has said, he has said this. He said, wealthy people never asked, how much is this going to cost me a month? They don't. What they ask is, how much is this going to cost me? And you might be going, well, but well, I'm not wealthy, so I don't need to ask that question. But if you have a desire to get to that place, then you've got to start making some decisions so you can get there. And if you'll make those decisions and you can get to a place where you're asking the same questions that wealthy people do and you're just looking at this, how much is this going to cost me? Well, we've been looking at Luke chapter 21, verse 34, all series. Be careful, Jesus told us. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. And it's true in all areas of life, even our financial life. That Pew Research did a study and they asked people, they just surveyed Americans. And so they surveyed them. And when surveyed, 90% of Americans say that they are in the middle class. Now, you might be clued in enough to go, uh, that doesn't seem accurate and it's looking like they've said it in a certain way, that's probably not true. You would be right. That, that, but yet what we do is what we think and we look at ourselves, we look at others and we go, yep, yep, that's me, I'm, I'm middle class. And, and maybe it's a, maybe you're below it or maybe you're above it, you know, but, but there's just some people in denial thinking that they are in middle class when they are not. That only 60% of America is in middle class, whether that is the, the lower middle, the middle middle, or the upper middle. And so I want us to look together and just to see um, a little bit about where we are financially as a society, especially here in America, is that according to the two, 2019 Census Bureau, the, the median net worth of these five different categories of classes of where we find ourselves in America. And so we're talking about the median. We're not talking about the actual average where you just take all the money and pile, but you say, hey, here, people are here, people are here, and you look, and it's a different scale, and I might be confusing you by trying to explain it too shortly, too quickly, but there is a difference. So let's look at this. Poverty class, 20% of Americans are here, and that is that they have a median net worth of $6,030. So the next class is the lower middle class, again, 20% of America, and they have $43,760. Now, I'm making an assumption that you understand net worth, and just in case anybody doesn't, our, our net worth is simply this, is you take your assets, you take your belongings, whatever you have, whatever you possess, whatever belongs to you, whether you owe on it or not, that, that thing, and, and you look at its value. 
And then you look at your liabilities. What are your liabilities? It's everything you owe, okay? And you, and you subtract that from everything that you own, you know, what you owe. And that, then you look at the bottom of that and you get to your net worth. And I think that there's a very good chance that people that are in the poverty level and people that are in the lower middle class, they don't really take the time to even look and see where am I actually at when it comes to my net worth. And maybe because they find it's too discouraging. But what happens when we look at the middle class? The middle middle, the middle 20%, they have $104,700. And I know it's real tempting right now because we live in a comparison society and we like to kind of compare where we are and where am I landing with this. And, and if you look at this and you're less than these things, you're kind of like feeling discouraged. And if you look at these things and you got more, you might be going... I feel pretty good about where I'm at. And that's certainly not the point of why I'm showing you this. But the upper middle class, they have um, a net worth of $201,800. Now, I will tell you, remind you, this is from 2019. And, and, and we've certainly seen a bump for anybody who happens to be a homeowner over the last three years. And so it might be going, hey, we're, we're doing much better off if we own a home because of how much home values have gone up. But let's look at the last class. That's the wealthy class. And the wealthy 20%, what their median net worth is $608,900. Now that's not the average, because if you average the, the guys like your Elon Musk and your Mark Zuckerbergs, and you, you look at the, they, they would throw this number way high but they're just looking at the spectrum and they're going, hey, all the way where these are, where are most people? And this is where the median is, not the average number. And this is what we get to see for this. And so when we look at this, we might think, well, wow, if I was in the upper middle or if I was in the wealthy class, man, it would be so easy for me to be able to live life and have financial peace. But yet that's not what we're seeing. Let me show you something else. I want us to look at an income bracket and how many of those percentage-wise are living paycheck to paycheck and then how many are actually just struggling to pay a bill, to be able to get that thing actually paid. And so let's start here with our people that are earning $100,000 or more. 40%, 40% are living paycheck to paycheck and 12% are struggling to pay the bills. And, and I would tell you, if, if you find yourself in this category and, and you find yourself in this similar situation, that I would, I would tell you this is probably a reality for you. That if your household was at a point one time when it was making 70 or 75 or 80, you've probably told yourself, you know, if we could just make $100,000, everything would be easy and we'd just be able to keep up. And, but, but then you get to that hundred and you're not seeing anything different. And, and the reason that you're not seeing anything differently is because of monthly payments. Because you didn't ask yourself, how much is this gonna cost me? You asked yourself, how much is this gonna cost me a month? And you continue to keep obligating yourself to payments. And so even as we grow in what we have coming at us, we can still struggle. Let's move down a little bit. Those making between 50,000 and 100,000, 53% of them are living paycheck to paycheck and 18% of them are struggling to pay the bills. And for that group that is making less than 50,000, 72% 
are living paycheck to paycheck and 33% are struggling to pay the bills. That they're struggling to keep up. I, I want us to look at a very unusual place in the Bible to talk about financial peace. And we're going to look in the Bible in Luke chapter 15. If you got your Bible, certainly would encourage you to follow along, whether it's a digital Bible or whether you've got a printed Bible. But we're going to be in, in Luke 15, where, where Jesus is talking about some lost things. He talked about lost coins. He talked about lost sheep. Well, he also talks about this lost son. And that lost son is called the, the prodigal son. And it's probably the, the second most famous parable that Jesus ever told. Probably the, the most famous parable that Jesus ever told is the Good Samaritan. And so maybe you haven't read your Bible, maybe you're not familiar with it, and you didn't even realize, oh, that Good Samaritan, that's, that's something Jesus, yes, it came from Jesus. And so did this prodigal son. Now, now neither one of these are actual real life encounters. Neither one of these actually took place. That Jesus was making up this story because he was wanting to teach us something. He wanted us to be able to learn from it. And so well, let's look here at the prodigal son and see what we can learn about financial peace. So we'll start in verse 11. Jesus continued that there was a man who had two sons and the younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. And just, here you go, giving it. Now, as we, as we look at this, that, that we shouldn't be surprised at who it is that actually wanted their inheritance early. It was who? It was the younger one. Because I think it's when we're younger or when we're young is when we end up making more foolish mistakes financially. That, that we do, and, and, and here he is, and he's going, hey, I want this. And, and some of us might have thought, oh, I thought younger people and the way they handled money was kind of a new problem. Well, I think it must have been at least a 2,000-year-old problem because as Jesus is making up the story, I'm sure people are just nodding along and go, oh yeah, of course it was the younger one that, that wanted that and that was doing that. And so Jesus does, he, he's showing this and, and he's, and he's saying what's, showing what's happening. Well, I want us to look at some at five specific things that we can see from the prodigal son story when it comes to how we get stressed out financially, that we can learn and we can, we can see some things here. And so we get stressed out when, and, and where we're gonna get started with this. We get stressed out when we are hung up on wanting more. We do. We get stressed out. And, and, and whether it's us and we're kind of looking around and we're comparing and seeing what other people have and we want, whether it's for our kids' sake that we're going, we don't want them to be without and they're gonna get picked on if they don't. And we do, we begin to justify it and we get stressed out. I gotta figure out how to get, how to acquire, how for you to have these things. And it just keeps adding stress to our lives. And, and it steals us and it prevents us from having financial peace. And, and we need to be careful with the lure of more. Because they're, they're, the, the lure is hanging out there and it's dangling. It is, it is so tempting. It looks so good and it baits us. And I'm just as guilty that, that, that I've, got a, I've got a vision problem. Because see, my, my eyes see things and then my heart wants them. I, I, it's, it's just, I, I've got a problem with this. And, 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 and that has, I'm, I'm in my mid-50s and that hasn't changed in my life. But, but how I dealt with that in my 20s was a lot different than how I deal with it in my 50s. That in my 20s, it was, if I saw it, then I had to figure out, hey, how do I, how do I get that? Did they have some things that I don't have? I told myself, well, I deserve and I should have and I really didn't deserve, but, but I wanted to figure out how could I, how could I get there? And, and so when I was in my 20s, 
I convinced myself that there was a secret sauce to acquiring more. And that I just needed to apply this secret sauce and, and, and I could have more. And that secret sauce was this, monthly payments. It was my secret sauce that, that I could go, hey, I, I could afford that monthly. Can I, can I afford to just pay? No, I couldn't do that. But, but I could afford it monthly. And it was my secret sauce that, that when my car was not being very reliable and I needed to get a reliable car, that my little secret sauce of monthly payments took me all the way to the dealer that was selling the new cars. And I bought a new one. I just needed a reliable one. But since I was going to have to have monthly payments either way, why not go for the new one? Right? I, I, I convinced myself that, that after I'd gotten a little bit of a raise, I got a promotion, and, and I went, I've got more money coming at me monthly. I want a boat. And I went and bought a boat. And, and, and I, I committed to making 144 monthly payments to get my boat. 12 years is how long I financed that thing. I didn't even keep the boat 12 years. But, but I put it on a 12-year note because I had that secret sauce of monthly payments. Now, I might have been able to pay it off even sooner, except for I decided that I needed a better tow vehicle for that boat. And so I used my little secret sauce and went and got myself a better tow vehicle with some, with some monthly payments. And, and, and it didn't stop there because once I, I realized that, you know, I was really only using that boat on weekends. And, and, but I had all during the week that I was still living life. And, and I realized, that, you know, I'm, I'm at home a lot. I'm in my living room a lot. I watch that TV a lot. I think I could get a bigger TV. And I did. And you know how I got my big screen TV? I applied my little secret sauce of what? Monthly payments. But you know what? That one was guilt-free for me. Zero percent interest. And I was like, guilt-free? That, 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 was, that was okay, right? And I did. I, I just convinced myself of that. And, and, and here's, here's what I believe when, when it comes to money and the way that, that we, we manage money. That, that everybody, we, 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 we budget. And that we either budget formally or we budget informally. And, and here, here's, a, here's a better way to, to look at that. That we will either budget to afford what we want now or budget for what we want later. What, what's, what's the difference? When we're budgeting for what we want now, we really don't keep up with a budget, but then we, our eyes see something and it's kind of shiny and sparkly and it's like, ah, ah, I've got to have it. And, and so what do we do? I need to get serious about my finances. What all am I spending? Where's it going? What's coming in? How much can I afford monthly? And we do, we'll look at it and, and we'll look at what that monthly is and we'll put it over there and we'll do the math and it's like, Ah, oh, that's not quite enough. Well, you know what? If I refinanced that and made my payments smaller, then I could, and we do, we, we'll, we'll, we'll just take this approach that I'm, I'm going to budget for what I want now. And then we don't think about a budget ever again until we, we get caught in the trance of what it is that we're going to need, what it is we convince ourselves that we want. And then we got to figure out how do we fit that in 
and make it squeeze that fine that way to get that into a monthly payment. Now, I figure for me that I'm about 10 to 12 years away from retiring from full-time ministry. And I know that that, that should bring some, some joy and some peace to you. It comes in probably one of two ways. Some of you are like going, oh, good, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, you know? And, and, and maybe for some others, it might be like, oh, good, at least we still got him for another 10 or 12 years, you know? I have no idea where you land on that. But, but I do, I, I look at this and I go, hey, I, I, I know that I'm gonna retire someday. And so I've been planning for this for years. That it was about a dozen years ago that, that Cheryl and I came up with a plan that we were gonna do something after spending a year researching it. And we decided we're gonna get into investment property. And, 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 and so we did, we bought our first one. And right after we did, I was like, what are you doing? I don't know anything about this. I shouldn't have done this, you know. But, but, but then I figured it all out. And, and then we kept getting more and kept getting more and kept getting more. And, and we actually have uh, four more that we still wanna get, but as part of our retirement plan. And then once we get those four, because they're all financed right now, that we plan on having them all paid for by time I retire. And that, that's just what we're trying to do. But I think about just, just where we are in our life and right now compared to where we were when we first got started in marriage. Because they are two different places of where we are. That, that when we first got married, Cheryl before we were married, had a positive net worth. Once we got married, Cheryl had a negative net worth. Kid you not, not talking about a low, I'm talking about negative, okay? Debt that I brought that didn't even have any assets for. I, I, I did, I, I brought that to our relationship. And what, what, what happened in the very early months and couple of years of our marriage is that I was going out and I was applying my little secret sauce and I was acquiring things. And Cheryl sat me down. And as she sat me down, she said, Will, you have to understand, it took our parents years to acquire the things that they have. And I feel like we're trying to get all of those things here in our mid-20s when we don't have the income for it. Now, as you could imagine, she said that, and I was like, thank you so much. I appreciate you sitting me down and sharing that. <laughs> now, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't my reaction. And it took her a while to keep dripping on me, trying to put some positive influence. In fact, it wasn't until a few years later when we did get on the same page financially that, that she shared with me that for years she had been praying this prayer God put us on the same page financially. Now, if I'd have known she'd have been praying that prayer, I, I would have been participating in the financial prayer too. I'd have been like, hey, God, can you just bring Cheryl closer to where I am with what I'm doing? And that would not have been a good prayer. But her prayer was so honest, so genuine, and so pure. It wasn't this arrogant prayer of I'm doing things right and he just needs to get on board. It was, God, would you put us on the same page financially? Would you do that? And, and it took years of her praying that before that happened, that, that we had been married almost five years before we got on the same page financially. And I was the one that did 98% of 
of the moving. I did. And, and, and I needed to. And I'm so grateful that she did that with me. That, that, that for us, that, that we started making plans and shifting, changing some things around because we didn't want to live in a place that the only thing we're doing is trying to get right now what we want. But, but we wanted to be investing in a future that we would want later. And it took us a long time to turn things around and to get us there. Let's get back to this prodigal son. So in verse 13, not long after that, getting his share, that the younger son got together all he had and he set off for a distant country where they, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. They squandered it. It was just, it was just gone. He just, he just spent it all. And that we get stressed out when we want everything now. It is. It's a very stressful place to be. I want this now. Other people have it now. I should have it now. And I got to figure out how I can get there. And the only way I can figure out how I can get there now is is monthly payments. And if we fall into this trap, we're never going to have financial peace. That there is a better way. We live in a time where we are being seduced by social media influencers. And that they are being paid to promote their products. Now, I don't know how they're doing this on Insta or on Twitter or on Facebook. I don't know how they're doing it there. TikTok, I don't know because I just don't get on those platforms. But I do get on a platform called YouTube. And so many things that I watch, I see in that upper corner, paid promotions. And then, then you hear the person say, now I've gotten a little bit of money for this. They'll disclose that sometimes. But they're out there and they are just pushing, they are pimping these things and saying, hey, you, you, this is great and my life's so good because look at me, look at how I am. And, and if you want to live a joyful like what I'm showing you on the camera, just buy the stuff that I'm showing you. And we do, we, we get allured and into this and, and we end up wanting this. Don't, don't be deceived because companies are leveraging the influence they have over you to try to get you to consume now. And, and there's not a problem with you consuming now if you do it without the secret sauce, if you just pay for it. it the, the possessions isn't a problem. It's when they possess you that it becomes a problem. And, and one of the ways that, that you can start to measure some things that, hey, do I possess this or does this possess me? You just might want to take a look and go, am I paying for this at once or am I paying for this over years? It's just something for you to consider. And Cheryl, I'm just so grateful that she sat me down when I didn't even want to hear it and said it took our parents years to acquire what they have. Let's slow down. And we did. And it was painful. Because I was spending the same amount of money but not seeing anything come in the house that was new. Because I started paying for what I had already acquired. And taken that responsibility. That we live, look at this, 
that we live in a society that promotes acquire now and pay later. Acquire now and pay later. And, and I don't know about you, but, but when I was living in this world, what would happen is that thing that I would acquire that satisfied for not the life of how long I had to pay for it, but, but just a short season of that, and, and, and that I had that, that, that I started getting entranced into, oh, that would be good to acquire too. And, and, and I had to come back in and go, how can I fit this into the room that I have to work with, with what I deposit them? Can I make a monthly pay? And I was acquiring more before I even finished paying off what I already had acquired. And it's so easy to acquire again when you haven't even paid off what you had previously acquired. That when, when I look at our life now, we don't have a negative net worth, but we do, we have a, a positive net worth. And I believe that anybody can get there. It might be that you look at what's coming in and go, there's not enough coming in. And so maybe I need a side hustle to work off some of these things that I committed to and let's get them paid down. It might be that you look at it and go, it's not that we're not bringing enough in. We've got too much going out. And what do we need to unload? We're even gonna sell it for a lot. Let's just get rid of that. Let's unload it so that we can pay that off and we can create room and create some margin and have financial peace. That we can really live with a financial freedom. I wish when I was in my early 20s, that somebody would have sat me down and had a very serious conversation with me about finances. I don't know if I'd have been open. I don't know if I would have been willing to hear and listen. But I can tell you, I've done that with my kids. And I didn't start having that conversation with them when they graduated from college. I didn't start that conversation with them when they entered college. I didn't even wait to start that conversation with them for them to enter high school. It was just conversations that we just were constantly having and helping them see some things. But I wish that more people could hear this and see the power of this. That a 22-year-old investing, and a 22-year-old investing what? $200 a month in mutual funds. And you might look at that and go, how can a 22-year-old afford $200 a month to invest? Well, if they would eliminate from their life the mentality of secret sauce, and they don't keep obligating themselves to several of these monthly payments to pay for something, that they could, and if they could see the power of what it would do for them, then I think that they would. But $200 a month, and put that in mutual funds, and when they put it in mutual funds, averaging 8%, for 40 years. And I know right now you can look at the market and go, well, that's, that's not, you can't say that because look at how bad the market's doing right now. When you look at it over an average of time, this is actually a low number. I'm being super safe with you guys. And averaging 8% for 40 years, they would end up having $698,201.57. And and for some of you guys that have been taking notes from the beginning, you can kind of look back and go, what was that top 20%? And you look at that number and you go, 
That's $90,000 more than the median of what our wealthy class has as a median net worth. But it takes discipline. It, it, it takes forethought to be able to look and see of what could happen if I would do this. And it's easy for us to convince ourselves, well, you know, I'm gonna wait until I'm 32 and I'll just double it and I'll give $400 a month because I can afford 400 probably when I'm 32. Well, you will miss out because there is something called time value to money. And the longer your money has to work for you, the more it's going to build that the sooner you get started, the better off you are going to be to do this. But when we go back and look at that idea of squandering, that it's easier to squander wealth than it is to build wealth. And I think it's easier because when we look at squandering, it's fun. It's enjoyable in the moment. I'm enjoying that this is fun. It's happening right now. And when we look at building our wealth, it's discipline. It's going without. And they have, and look, they're enjoying, and I'm not. But it takes discipline. And a discipline that says, I'm gonna be more focused on my future than I am focused now. I'm gonna tell you something. I didn't tell 9.30, so this is free. <laughs> my kids, probably about high school age is when I started telling them this, because I've been talking finance with them a long time. But I said, when you graduate, invest everything you can. Live very simply. Invest everything you can and wait until you're 30 to enjoy the money. Now, I'm going to tell you something I haven't told them. And don't give it away to them either. I told them that because I really believe if they will do that all the way to age 30, they're going to create a habit and they're not going to want to give up making sure that investing is still part of their future. And I've not told them that one, but I think that they're gonna end up figuring that on their own. And it's discipline. And I can tell you that, that our kids are already doing this and investing and living on less because of what's been modeled, what's been taught, and it, it just, it stuck. That we get stressed out when we waste what could have been working for us. That our money really could, it could work for us if we would give it the time to do that. So the prodigal son, after he had spent everything, again, made up story, but everybody's listening, tracking. There's probably little listeners that were going, I know somebody. Maybe you're, I wonder if you're telling his story. Some of us might even think the same way. But after he had spent everything, that we get stressed out when we spend everything that we have. We do, we, we get stressed out because when we spend everything we have, it leaves no room for what we need. It leaves no room for what we want. It leaves no room for an opportunity, whether that's an opportunity to be generous, whether that's an opportunity to invest, we have no room when we spend all that we have. And so Jesus, as he continues, he says, and there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. Why? Because he had spent all that he had. And he began to be in need. And that we get stressed out when we are unprepared 
for the storms of life. When we've not set something aside that says, hey, there's a chance that something's gonna, I don't know what it's gonna be and I don't know when it's gonna come, but, but I just need to be prepared for that. Whether, whether that's a, an emergency room visit, whether that's a car breaking down, whether that's an employer saying, hey, we're gonna have to cut back your pay, cut back your hour, we need to be prepared because the storms of life are coming. And if we don't prepare, then we will stress out for this. That financial margin is the secret. It's the real secret for living without stress, even when the storms of life hit. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. And when he came to his senses, that I've called this talk financial peace. And when we get financial peace, it's because we're gonna come to our senses about how it is that we need to be responsible and manage and handle money. And when we do this, we will experience financial peace. As I'm wrapping this up, let me show you something that might feel like a hard turn for you. That in Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Now, I'm not talking about like a, a lucky charm kind of prince of peace. The, the, the word prince here, when we see this, it literally means Lord, chief, general, the one in charge. That Jesus is the prince of peace. He is the one in charge. He is the Lord. He is the general of this for us. He is Lord. And it's so important for us to get this. Now, you probably don't know this, but the word Lord appears in our Bible 7,836 times. That's how many times we see the word Lord appear in our Bible. And then there's another word that I want to call your attention to that we see in our Bible. It's called Savior. And we get to see Savior in our Bible. And I want you to just in your own mental mind, I want you to guess how many times the word Savior appears in our Bible. Now that you've got that number, I'm just going to tell you, you're wrong. It's much lower than whatever it is that you have in your head. The word Savior only appears in our Bible 37 times. Lord, over 7,800. Savior, only 37. And we get this order backwards. And what we want is we want a Savior. Somebody's going to save us from our mistakes and what we've done and our past and rescue us. But we really don't want a Lord that's telling us what to do, that's the general that has control over us. But really, when we look at how our Bible's laying it out to us, what we really need is we need a Lord. And so we've got Prince that we don't just need a Savior. What we need is we need a Lord. And let's look at peace. 
It's rest, tranquility, wholeness, completeness, contentment. That Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He's the guy that when he's in control of your life, you will get contentment. But you've got to let him be Lord of your life if you're going to get there. Show you two different times where this just comes together. In peace, I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. Peace and Lord all together. Here's a New Testament one for you in Acts chapter 10. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. That Jesus, he is our our prince of peace. And our prince of peace has principles for us that if we will follow them, that we get to experience peace. Chris Hodges, he's a pastor, and he said, most of our stress comes from ignoring God's principles. God's principles for life, not not just our financial, but, but all of them. And we just ignore these principles and it brings so much stress on us. Let me wrap this up with getting to the end with the prodigal son. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So what he did is he said, I, I, I need to repent. I need to change the way that I've been living. I just squandered and did everything for myself. And I need to go back and let somebody be, be the Lord over me. And I'm going to go back and just be a servant and let my father be my, my master. And Jesus wraps this up with, and so he got up and he went to his father. That he actually did this. And if you're somebody that when it comes to where you're at with your finances, that, that you walked in here and, and, and you start listening to this and you see the stats up front and you're like going, you're stressing me with the stats, Will, stop. You don't have to stay in a place of being financially wrecked, financially stressed but you're gonna have to take responsibility. And you're gonna have to do some things and change some things that can bring financial peace. And financial peace probably won't happen tomorrow. It probably won't happen next week or next month. Cheryl and I laid out a plan for 60 months. That's when we were gonna be able to pay for all the things that we had. And we just got serious and hunkered down. Now, we were very blessed during that time and and God took a business that I owned and he just started paying me more and more from it without me putting work into it. I wasn't given time, but it started giving us money. And we tithed on it, paid our taxes on it and gave the rest to our debt. And we ended up knocking it out in two and a half years. It's gonna take you being somebody going, I have to be responsible. Do I really want to have financial peace? Am I going to be more interested in living for what I want now or living for a future that I'm willing to have later if I'm willing to work on it now? You can either have now 
or you can have a better future. But you're going to have to pick what are you going to do? What is more important? And I really believe that financial peace trumps. It's the most important. So make the decisions that's going to get you there. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, you just know where, where all of us are at. God, there's some of us that just listening, watching, and, and we're experiencing financial peace right now. But there was a time when we weren't. And God, there's some that are just listening to this and it's so painful because it, it's just showing them that they're so far from living with financial peace. God, I pray that they wouldn't get locked up into the pain of where they're at without being able to work toward getting where they desire to be. Pray that you would let that pain be leveraged and motivated and you would begin to change their financial future because they're willing to take responsibility for their future. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.